this time Caleb's going to bring us a special. My heart is yours, 
my soul is free. Thank you, God, for saving me. Thank you, God, for saving me. Thank you, God, for saving me. Thank you, Caleb. I hope everyone in this room can say that. And I called on your name, and you heard me out of the grave and into life. Thank you, God, for saving me. Thank you, God, for saving me. And just uh, very uh, excited about answered prayer, what God is doing uh, in our church uh, today. Uh, real quick. If uh, if you have a bulletin, it says, uh, I believe it says Mark 9, it's uh, my typo, it's Mark 8, and so I want to preach this morning on the subject, give me a cross, give me a cross, and it should be your desire after you are saved to follow the Lord, and I just want to talk for just a little while and preach on that subject whenever you're following the Lord to ask for a cross. But what does that mean? Don't be too quick to say, give me a cross unless you mean it, because there's a lot there. And let's stand for the reading of God's holy word. Give me a cross. Mark chapter 8 and verse 34. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples, also he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross, and follow me. Whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore will be ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed, and when he cometh in the glory of his when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Father, I thank you for this time. To share your word, thank you, God, for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing up and just reading this portion of Scripture with me. And uh, a popular writer had this as a quote. It's a great quote. And he said this, If Jesus is not Lord of all... He is not Lord at all. If Jesus is not Lord of all, He's not Lord at all. That's a very powerful statement to think about. And in thinking about that statement, matter of fact, I was, uh, uh, after I first started off, matter of fact, uh, uh, Taylor and Caleb and I had a good time defending our title as the, uh, the, the talent show, Armadillo Festival Weekend, 
We did another basketball routine, added some slam dunks and some jump rope routines and a few other things. That was fun. And then, of course, we've been able to, and even Karen, again, got up and ran with us, the 5K, Ashley County Cares. That goes, to, of course, to support uh, breast cancer and research and everything along that line, and, and that's an awesome benefit for that. Uh, during After the run, um, I got into a debate and uh, with some people, oh, and they were... Just and, and you know, I was trying to fill them out, and because some people don't debate well, they get angry, and so I, and it, it turned out that that great discussion about losing your salvation. Well, one thing that came up, and it's it's always uh, any any denomination or uh, belief system that believes you can lose your salvation. One thing that comes up, they say, well, you know, and I went ahead and I I headed off. I brought it up first because it's always something that. People may put out toward Baptists that believe in once saved, always saved, or as some may say, security of the believer. And uh, went ahead and jumped on it. That people say, "Well, Baptists believe that you can be saved and then live any way you want to." I said, "No, no, somebody made that up. We don't. We don't believe that. And we believe this. We believe that if you're truly saved, you don't want to live any way you want to." And so anybody that believes that or pushes that, A, doesn't know, or B, they're not saved. And uh, so because if you believe that I'm saved, therefore I can live. Freedom is to live for Christ, not to live away from Christ. We're saved for good works. And so if you're really saved, you again, it goes back to this, this first statement in this introduction. If Jesus is not Lord of all of your life. He's not Lord at all in your life. But that's a powerful thing to make. In this passage, in this passage, when Jesus says, if anybody wants to follow me, let him take up his cross, deny yourself and come after me. Come on. But it's a call to death. It's a, because when they said take up your cross, it means I die to myself. I, I give up. I live for Jesus. Not many people do that. Most of us, and we'll get into this in a second, we have a verbal salvation. But do we live for God? Have we made that next, next step? Now, I'm not saying if you're not currently living for God that you don't have Jesus as your Savior. Maybe you're backslidden. We got into that a little bit about the different definitions of backsliding and security of the believer. And so... I want to move on to this first point, which has in its uh, course, verse 35 is a key. Verse 35 is a foundation. I call it save it or lose it. And what it's talking about is your life. And it says here in verse 35, Whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake in the Gospels. In other words, you give it up. Somebody, uh, I heard this one time. Matter of fact, I saw the bumper sticker that said this. It said, uh, bumper sticker said, God is my co-pilot. And then somebody uh, saw that in the parking lot and saw their driving. They said, well, you need to let God become the pilot because your driving is going to kill him. Okay. And if God's your co-pilot. Well, God doesn't need to be your co-pilot. God does need to be the pilot of your life. 
It says here, to give up your life means to put Him in charge. That's what. So save it or lose it. Now, what does it mean by saying save it or lose it? There's a, uh, ran across a neat story. It's called Pack Your Coffin. Neat illustration. Matter of fact, a century ago, a century ago, this is a band of believers, a band of brave souls became known as one-way missionaries. They purchased single tickets to the mission field with no return. One-way tickets. Instead of suitcases, they packed coffins. They didn't, matter of fact, probably a hundred years ago, they didn't have suitcases. They probably did, but instead of suitcases, packed their earthly belongings into coffins. They sailed out of port and they waved goodbye to everyone they knew. One of those missionaries was called A.W. Milne. And he was, he worked with the headhunters in the New Hebrides in the South Pacific. And he knew that other missionaries had given their lives because of those headhunters. They had lost their life, and he went anyway. But you see, Brother A.W. Milne had already died to himself. He had already given his life away, and his life belonged to Jesus. They allowed him to work with him. Hundreds and thousands were saved because of his work. Over 35 years, he lived and toiled among those native people around 1910 in that time frame. You can look all this up on the internet. It's a pretty awesome story. And when they buried him, they buried him in the center of the village. And they put his tombstone, obviously, right there where he was buried. And the quote that they put there was this. When he came, there was no light. But when he left, there was no darkness. Now, how many of us can say, I give my life to Jesus, that you can make a difference in the lives of others around you, that in your own family, think about it, in your own family, that when, whenever, you know, some dark families walk in darkness because nobody has ever shared the gospel. The gospel is about freedom. You know, one thing that I sensed in the conversation yesterday was fear. Because folks, you cannot, if you, if you believe you can lose your salvation, it's a belief system of fear. You never know if you've lost it. How many sins does it take to lose it? And then how do you get it back? And what if I, what if I lose it, but I don't have time to get it back again? Because that belief system is based upon fear. And God, the Bible says this, God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of love and of a sound mind and rejoicing to follow the Lord. He doesn't want you to live in fear, but in victory. Is there light in your family? Is there light in the people that you work with? You may be the only light source. You may be on the only source of the gospel around the people that you're around. God may be counting on you to shine light in a dark place, just like He did. Head now to the book of Job, chapter 1, and thinking about somebody who dies to himself, who gives it all up. In the book of Job, chapter 1, I shared this here a while back. In Job chapter 1 and verse 20, the Word of God says this. This is after all the bad news had come to Job. 
After everything had happened, he had lost his family. His children had died in a storm. God had lifted the veil of protection on him. And folks, when this happened, basically Job lost everything. He lost his retirement. He lost his job. He lost his income. He lost the majority of his family. He lost everything he had. He lost his 401k, his stock shares. Everything is gone and notice what he says. Then Job arose. I'm in Job 1.20. Tore, rent his mantle, shaved his head, fell down upon the ground, and he went back to church. He worshipped. And Job said, Naked came out of, I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And I, I put before you this, folks. If, if, think about this. If, if Jesus, if you have Jesus, you have all you need for anything in life. And think about this. If I, if God, I, anybody, if God were to take away everything you have, what would you have left? I put before you, if God allows everything to be taken from you, you still have Jesus. You still have Him. Because everything in this life is temporary. Everything in this life is, is, it fades, it withers as a leaf does, it goes away, there's nothing eternal in this life. But what He gives you is eternal. So if God takes away everything you've got, what do you have left? I think about this as we try to live for the Lord and we try to give our life and give it up. Sometimes God lets you hit rock bottom so that you will find out that He is the rock at the bottom. Let me repeat. Sometimes God lets you hit rock bottom so you will find out that He is the rock at the bottom. Now, we pray that that would, in other words, that God won't let us hit rock bottom. But sometimes, you know, when Jesus died, He didn't die to keep you safe. But He died to make you dangerous. And by meaning that, by living for the Lord, living for Him, He didn't call you to sit on the sidelines. If it, what is, back to our text, if anybody's going to come after me, if you really want to get into it for Jesus, matter of fact, those who live for the Lord, there was one fellow one time tried to cast out some demons in the Bible, and the demons looked at him and said, Paul I know and Jesus I know, but who are you? And so what happened was is he was just a pretender. He was just somebody who, who went to church but never really got into it. But folks, when you really live for the Lord and you really just sell out and say, God, here's my life, and he, He'll make you dangerous. Not dangerous against sin. Not dangerous against people. But matter of fact, God says our enemy is not flesh and blood but against principalities and powers and darkness. And the devil's our enemy, not each other. Who are you? Who's following who? Back to our text. It says this in verse 34, when he called the people unto him, he said, whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself. You know, a lot of us want to follow Jesus but we, we say, and matter of fact, it comes out of our mouth. We say, I want to, I'm following the Lord. I want to live for the Lord. But most of the time we say, Jesus, come over here. 
follow, let's go over here with me. But what if Jesus is saying, no, I want you over here. Most of us, we want, we want to be the center of our own universe if I get untongue tied. We want to live for the Lord, but we want, in other words, make it about me, God. Make church about me. Make church, make my life about me. We don't want to get out of any comfort zone. We don't want to do any, God says, come over here, try this, talk to somebody, do something for me. But most of us want to do something for ourselves. We want to make ourselves be comfortable. Matter of fact, most of the time, think about this, the example, did, did God ask Paul, Follow me because it'll be more comfortable. Did God ask the Jesus, did he call the disciples and say, Come on and and follow me and it's gonna be easy? I won't ever ask you to do something uncomfortable. I won't ever ask you to do something easy. Matter of fact, right now, I don't know how many churches we have in Ashley County. I don't know. There's a bunch of them though, aren't there? There's a bunch of churches in Ashley County. If you're going to do anything for the Lord, you know what I think? All y'all right now, everybody in this auditorium are super great people. Y'all are. Y'all can give yourself a pat on the back if you want to. Y'all are awesome. Y'all are. I'm not being sarcastic or facetious. Reckon there's anybody in Ashley County right now not in church? (laughs) Brother Ed's giggling, which means, yeah, there are. I submit to you, it's going to take a little work to reach them. But most of us won't, so to speak, uh, okay, i got to go to work for Jesus. I've got to literally try something I've never tried before. I've got to talk to somebody I've never talked You know, a lot of times we say, I'm only going to invite people to church that, that's been missing a while. I only invite people to church, maybe members that have been slacking out. Or is there anybody else out there in Ashley County? And I'm not saying leave somebody backslidden church member alone. I'm not saying that. I'm saying the easy work is done, folks. It's time to roll up our sleeves and do the hard work. Do the things that that say, I'm going to try it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to talk to somebody I've never talked to before. I'm going to find, you know, Jesus says, come after me. Let him, it's not a life of ease. Following the Lord is not easy. It's not, it's not a call to luxury. It's not a call to comfort. It's not a call to say, come over here and sit on a cushion pew and that's all there is to being a Christian. Sitting on that Christian pew isn't being a Christian. Getting up off that Christian pew and talking to somebody for Jesus, inviting somebody to church, or Lord help us actually telling them how you got saved. Now that's being a Christian. That's being a follower of Christ. Christian means what? It doesn't mean I'm saved. It actually means I'm saved and following Him. So God doesn't call us just to save us. God doesn't save you just to keep you safe. He died to make us dangerous in the kingdom work, in following Him, in doing something that that, that they say, man, they love Jesus more than whatever else. What it's all about. Back to our text. I didn't read this part yet. In Mark eight thirty one, 
it says, he began to teach them. Notice this. This is right out of the Bible. So I can't make this up, can I? It's all in black and red in mine. In verse 31, Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he spake that saying openly. And Peter took him and began to rebuke him. But when he turned about, he looked upon his disciples and he rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. Which tells me this, that, I mean, think about it. He's teaching, he's teaching, I mean, to us, it's a great story. Jesus died for you and for me, but to Peter, Peter had never heard this. He said, no, uh, uh, ain't gonna happen. And notice the phrasing in the Bible. It says Jesus did this. He looked at all the disciples first. Peter. Do y'all think that might have offended Peter a little bit? Do you think, I mean, does Jesus, let me tell you, in the most kindest way possible, Jesus really didn't hold back there. Get thee behind me, Satan. That's not what I came to do. I didn't come here just to live a pretty life. I came here to give my life for you so that you can. And Peter, of course, it all clicked with Peter later. Thank the Lord. And he became a great apostle. Sometimes it always doesn't click with us. Sometimes we don't always get it, do we? Sometimes, you know, we, we come to church, but we're really just going through the motions. We come to church, and I call it this. Some of us, we may not say it, but we live a watered-down gospel. A gospel of comfort when, when we're serving God doesn't hurt, and I don't have to do a whole lot. You say, well, you can say, I love Jesus all day long till the cows come home, but your life can reflect a gospel of comfort. In a gospel of ease. If you've ever watched TV between 1963 and 1997, there was a thing that came on the TV screen that says, Please stand by. This is a test. Of the emergency, anybody ever remember seeing this picture right here? Anybody ever seen it? I mean, I've seen it in black and white and color. Please stand by. This is only a test. A test of the emergency broadcasting system. They stopped doing that in 1997 on our local uh, stations. But anyway, you can uh, head to Genesis 22. And I want to talk about a test. A test that God gave to Abraham. Matter of fact, what I call this is, I call this, you have got to be kidding. You have got to be kidding me. In Genesis 22 is the famous story of Abraham being asked by God to kill his son. Sacrifice his son would be more accurate, but yes, he's asked to kill him. You've got to be kidding. God asked somebody to do that. He did. And it, oh, this is not an allegory. <laughs> this is not a parable. The God actually asked Abraham to do this. Abraham, though, 
didn't hesitate. And it says here, this test, in Genesis 22, verse 1, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt, that word means test, Abraham, and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. God tests us for two primary reasons. He allows it in His Word. God tests us. The two main reasons is to see what to prove yourself and for Him to prove Himself. That He's faithful. He's true. When God tests you, it's an opportunity for God to show up. When God allows a trial or a tribulation or a test or ever how you want to say it to happen to your life, it's an opportunity to say, will God show up? Will God be with me? Matter of fact, after, after he had the knife held back and he's up there and, I, you know, Isaac is, is laid on the altar and he's about to slit the throat of his own son. And matter of fact, we don't know what he's thinking until we read it over in the book of Hebrews where the book of Hebrews says that God Abraham's thinking that I believe him so much that if I even take his life, that he said he would raise him from the grave. And I put before you this, that he was rearing back, holding back. And after he stopped him and the ram was caught by the horns up there and he took the ram in the stead of his son, he offered the ram in place of his son. And he called the name of that place Jehovah Jireh, which means this, the Lord will provide. The Lord is a providing God. If you, if, hey folks, I've chickened out. God has asked me to do stuff before and I backed out. God's asked me to say, you have an opportunity to witness and I missed it and I didn't do it because I was afraid. And I'm thinking about Abraham as he was asked to do that and God didn't show up in my life. You know why? I didn't take him up on it. We don't have, what's your Isaac? What, what will God maybe ask you to give? In February the 19th, 19, excuse me, in 1519, the Spanish explorer Hernan Cortez set sail for Mexico. This is 1519, okay? Right after Columbus had done discovered the New World, he set sail for Mexico with 11 ships, 13 horses, 110 sailors, and 553 soldiers. And Hernando, Hernan is just his shortened name, Hernando was on a mission to establish a settlement. Two previous expeditions has failed in this New World, yet after they got there and they got all unloaded, he gave some famous orders that became mythical in proportion. Think about this, 11 ships, and Hernando gives the order, burn the ships. Burn them. Folks, basically you know what that means? And Hernando Cortez conquered most of South America. You know why? There's no plan B. Folks, I don't know if you know this, but God doesn't have a plan B. His plan A, Jesus. 
There's no turning back. There's no other salvation. There's no other way. So God's asking us, do you want to get on plan A? Come follow me. Take up your cross. Give me the cross, Lord. I'll follow you. Burn the ships. There's no plan B. There's no turning back. And they were successful. You know why? There's no plan B. And with Jesus, there's no plan B. It's follow Him. It's follow Him. Do we want to see God work? Turn, if you will, to Philippians chapter 3. Most of us think about, we think about the past and living in the past. In Philippians chapter 3, we find Paul, he talks about this. And in Philippians 3 verse 13, he says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Folks, we can talk about the past all day long, but all God wants you to do is live for Him right now. Talk about the past or live for Him. This is what Paul said his motto was. Forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Lastly, in closing, in the book of Mark chapter 14, is a story of a woman who spilled out an alabaster box. Mark chapter 14, a neat story. <laughs> the Word of God says this. Mark fourteen three. And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, there came a woman, having an alabaster box of ointment, of spikenard, very precious. And she broke the box and poured it on his head. Let me tell you this. As we live for the Lord, there's a lot of people in church today who are great actors. Great actors. Everybody's gathered around in this house. Everybody's gathered around in this house. And they're seeing all this. And we read another account where this woman didn't have the best reputation. She did not have the best past. And so they're already saying, well, my goodness, doesn't, you know, this woman, what's she doing this for? And, uh, but anyway, matter of fact, then they saw that that box she was breaking and anointing Jesus with, was worth about a year's wages. And folks, many people can control, you can, you can act and you can fool each other, you can fool me and you can fool your family, but very few people can control their reactions. And the reaction to this blew them away. What in the world? Why couldn't we have sold that? One of the ones who led the reactions, of course, was Judas. And th two things happen. Folks, when you're living for the Lord, you can listen to what people say, or you can listen to what Jesus says. What people said was this. They had indignation within themselves. Why was this waste of ointment made? And Jesus said, let her alone. Why trouble you her? She hath wrought a good work in me. You have the poor with you always. And she hath 
Verse 8, she has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body to the bearing. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached to the whole world, this also shall, that she hath done shall be spoken of her for a memorial. This needs to be our prayer. Lord, give me a cross. May we not think about what people say, but let's think about what Jesus says. He said, take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me as we prepare for a hymn of invitation. And I know that uh, we can start right now getting ready to go. Get, I'm getting ready to go. Brother Michael's letting us out. He called Brother Norman up. Man, I'm excited he's finished preaching. But would you pause for just a second and say, Am I following Jesus with everything I've got? Am I really am I just saying that I follow Jesus? Or have I burned the ships? Have I given it there's no turning back. There's no return ticket. Are you truly sold out for Him?